It's the Pistons Pod, presented by Uptime Energy Drink. Now here's your host, Matt Derry. It's another week of the Pistons Pod, everybody. Thank you for listening and joining us here on Pistons.com and wherever you get your podcast is indeed Matt Derry. And our guest today is Vince Goodwill from Yahoo Sports and Sirius XM NBA Radio. Many of you know Vinny from his days covering the Pistons with the Detroit News. He's all over the entire league now, but still based here in Michigan. He gets a chance to see the Pistons all of the time, and we welcome him to the pod today. What's up, Vin? What's going on, Dees, man? Good to be on with you. Back at you, my friend. A tough road trip, certainly, for the Pistons as they uh, you know, go to L.A., uh, Portland and Phoenix, they lose all four in, pretty much in all of these games. What, what did you see on the trip? I think, like you said, being in on all these games. I think you, when you have such a young team, you want them to be in competitive environments where they have a chance to win games, where, of course, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make critical errors because young teams are, you know, I say this affectionately. You know what I mean when I say this. Young teams are stupid. Young teams do not <laughs> have the savvy to figure things out. And when you're playing against the Portland team, even though Portland's kind of been up and down, but they know how to win. You know, they know how to take a win that's in front of them. And I think that's one thing the Pistons, this young team, hopefully by the end of the season, hopefully by, you know, January, February, you're not going to be able to win games you shouldn't. But you should be able to win games that are in front of you. Whether it's a team without a star, a team that's not hitting, and and the game is sitting in front of you, then that should be where Kay Cunningham, Sadiq Bey, Jeremy Grant, those guys should be able to take that win that's in front of you. And hopefully that's something that you can see them sort of grow into over the next, you know, couple of months as guys start to get more acclimated to roles and everything else. Cause this is still a so much of a very young team. Like you got four 20 year olds <laughs> essentially here getting heavy minutes. Nobody wins like that. Unless you're talking about Kevin Durant, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And that was what, 15 years ago. It's interesting because, you know, Thursday night's game, certainly the 114-103 loss to the Suns, you look up and you say, all right, the Pistons have lost seven in a row. It's a getaway game. It's the last game of the trip. And Phoenix has won, you know, 17 in a row, now make it 18, and you figure, uh-oh. And yet here they are in the fourth quarter. You're right. The Suns kind of tried that uppercut in the start of the fourth. It looked like it was up to double figures and it was going to be done. And here are the Pistons battling to within three, within four, and then they just couldn't get that stop. But, again, trying to stop Phoenix is not easy to do, right? Oh, it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, we saw what happened with Golden State uh, the other night with, with Phoenix where Phoenix is just one of those teams, and I guess this is the greatest compliment that I can pay them, they're never uncomfortable. And you get uncomfortable because you can never put them in a spot where they feel compromised. And that frustrates you as a team, and especially if you're a young team, let alone a veteran team. So, you know, like, like a team like Detroit where you got Sadiq and Cade and Killian, and they're just figuring things out for themselves. And then you look over there, and, okay, it's no Devin Booker, but it's Chris Paul. And Chris Paul is like the ultimate supercomputer, the ultimate veteran point guard who's basically going to break you down to your worst spot. And you saw that late in games. You yeah. saw that even when he hit that 18-footer, just you know, just sitting and waiting for the lanes to fill. He knew inevitably someone was going to forget to guard the ball, right? Was behind him, and K went to the open man, and K didn't go to the ball. Not even a rookie mistake. That's just human instinct. And Chris Paul took that 18-footer. It's one play, but it was so indicative of what Phoenix does. And it's also so indicative of what the Pistons have yet to learn. And it's not going to be something that happens overnight. When you look on Twitter and you see people saying, why isn't this thing being sped up yet? 
this is the first year. This is actually like the first year of a rebuild. This is why teams are often so hesitant to go there because it's not pretty in the beginning. And sometimes you have to go through these growing pains to figure some things out. And they're figuring some things out as a month into the season. And to, to top it off, I, I know this probably made uh, Troy Weaver happy uh, to an extent as a fellow Syracuse guy like me. But uh, they, they were they were playing some zone last night. I couldn't – and whatever it takes, right, Vinny? I hate zone. <laughs> but, zone makes, but zone makes everybody uncomfortable, no matter how often you do it, no matter if it's a veteran team. These veteran – I had a coach call me yesterday and say, it's amazing how the zone defenses throws off everybody. And, I, and it was just literally amazing to me that he called me and said that yesterday. And it was like in the middle of the day. And the conversation was just that. And I was like, he was like, watch someone get confused tonight. Watch a good team get confused tonight because you throw a zone defense out there. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> well, and I'm sure Dwayne Casey doesn't want to do that and junk it up to an extent, but you're going to do whatever it takes to win. It did seem like you say to make the Suns a little bit uncomfortable. And it looked like the Pistons had practiced it because they were in their spots and uh, and Isaiah Stewart was rebounding. So it was it was okay last night. Absolutely. And it shows you that the teaching is taking hold, right? Like you can see certain things about a coached team that there's some guys who are coaches, some guys who are teachers, these, and you can tell when the teaching sometimes is taking hold, especially when you introduce a new concept and your squad doesn't look totally inept executing it because they're trying to throw an alteration in there just to junk up the game, just to change the pace and make a team think for a split second. So if nothing else, and I know people are going to have their criticisms of case because of the record, but you can look and see the teaching is taking hold. To me, that means a lot. Vinny Goodwill with us from Yahoo Sports and also Sirius XM NBA Radio. Matt Derry with you. It's the Pistons Pod brought to you by Uptime Energy Drink. Pistons are done with the West Coast trip back at home Monday against Oklahoma City at 7 o'clock at the LCA and then Wednesday night against the surprising uh, Washington Wizards. What else in terms of individual event have you seen lately from this team? Certainly Cade Cunningham made some strides, I think, on this trip. And, boy, there were parts of Thursday's game where he just took over. Yeah, I'm starting to grow. I'm starting to grow with what I expect from – Kate Cunningham, because when you look at a guy that doesn't have a training cap, and it sounds like an easy excuse, right? But he didn't have a training cap. And you look at his body and you're trying to figure out, okay, how is this going to work when you're not a supreme athlete, right? And I was trying to figure out if he's a 40% three-point shooter. Not that he's a 40% three-point shooter now, but he's been trending better at that spot, you know, for the past maybe week or so. And I think for me, the path to Kate Cunningham being the player that validates this number one pick all comes down to his shooting because I don't think he's going to be like a supreme playmaker. I do think he's going to be a very good one because he's unselfish and he sees the floor and everything else. But if he's a 40% three-point shooter, that changes the math on what type of player he can be, period. That changes that changes everything for him. That changes the outlook for the franchise if he's that proficient from there because he can get to the basket and he can rise up and elevate you know, you've seen a few plays where he's had an open lane and he's throwing it down. He's not going to throw it down really over anybody, but you can see the pace that he plays with. You're not going to speed him up. You're not going to slow him down. Like, he plays like an adult. And I think that's the greatest compliment I think I could pay for a guy who's 20 years old is that you play like an adult at this stage where you're not really going to be but so uncomfortable. You look at the three-point shooting on a trip. Next, only the Clippers game where he was 0 for 5. 
you know, in the past few games where you're like, ah, you know what, that was an off game. But other than that, it felt like it feels like the shooting has been trending upward in the past week. And that's something to me that's really important, especially as you start to settle down and play more home games in December. Yeah, and, and Dwayne made a point of saying after the game that uh, he liked the, the combo maybe best of he and, and Killian Hayes uh, in, in that Phoenix game. And obviously there's been some roadblocks and, and some bumps in the road, but it seemed like those two guys were comfortable together, and that's that's what you want to see as they continue this you know restoring process. Well, I think this year more than figuring out what Kate Cunningham is, this year is more about figuring out what Killian Hayes is because last year was so up and down and you couldn't really figure out, okay, you know, with the injury and everything else, you were trying to figure out, can this guy be a lead guard? And then you draft Kay Cunningham and you're trying to ask yourself, can we play with these two types of guards long term? And I think they can help each other, you know, like Case was talking about as far as taking the playmaking burdens off of the other where you don't have to have Kate being the guy handling the ball 85, 90% of the time. Like that's not the best use for him. And for someone like Killian, whose three-point shooting has gotten better, I thought that it would. I wasn't sure if it would, you know, this quickly, where it seems like he's he's trending in that direction. He's a lefty, which is near and dear to my heart because I'm a lefty, which means all of our shots are Tayshaun Prince ugly. <laughs> as long as they go in, oh, we don't, no, nobody cares, right? So, and I think Killian, I'm going to see if this comparison works. I view Killian as a Marcus Smart without the extra stuff. A guy that can get in your chest a little bit and defend you. A guy that can hit hit some threes and make plays, but it's generally low maintenance. And I think we tend to look at these guys as they got to be ready immediately. But I think, especially when you come from overseas, you got to give them time on a learning curve. The problem is just that NBA players are so much more adapt at young ages to step on the floor and be really productive, really savvy, that the ones that take a traditional arc – we start to we start to put the label on them. I'm just trying to figure out with Killian Hayes this year, what box am I going to put you in? Are you going to be a contributor or are you going to be a starter? Because if you're a you know semi level Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart is a guy who's a valuable piece for any team that he'll wind up playing on, not just Boston. If that's Killian Hayes, I think that's something that you can work with. Vinny uh, Goodwill with me here from Yahoo Sports and SiriusXM. Tell me about Isaiah Stewart and. All, you know, we could go all all day on the whole LeBron thing. I think it's it's done and it happened and it's in the past. But I like the way he's handled himself throughout this whole thing. He got national, obviously, attention, but yet immediately kind of squashed it and said, I'm just here to play basketball and didn't want to talk about it. And I thought that was very mature for a kid in his second year in the league. Absolutely. And you saw the tone, the national tone, sort of, I guess with the exception of me, the national tone be very anti Isaiah Stewart because the visual looked a certain way and because it's in Detroit and there's all these other different things that right. have nothing to do with him at all. And because it's LeBron James and everything else, the national tone wasn't very kind to him. And I thought that was really unfair for someone who does not have any level of history in this. When you go back to college and you go to his background and everything else, that's not this type of kid. No, but he's great, a, great kid. Yeah, he's a tough player. And here's the other thing. If I get hit in the mouth and I see blood, guess what? I'm coming after you. Like, I I might get irrational, too, in that moment. But like you said, how he handled it 
in the aftermath. And I think, you know, when he comes back to the, you know, when he comes back home and you see some of the, uh, some of the signage that I think the fans will be really supportive of Isaiah Stewart. I told a couple of people with the Pistons, I'm like, look, if you guys were a better team right now, I would market the hell out of this. <laughs> a bad boy logo with blood streaming from his forehead or something. <laughs> like I would I would get all in front of that because that almost embodies what people are, are used to. But you know, from a from a basketball standpoint, so he's had to play more inside, which kinda goes against, you know, his height and his and his explosiveness and everything else. But I do think you're talking about a player that's growing and going to learn. It's just going to take it's almost like the common trope that we've said throughout the course of this podcast. It's going to take some time, not for him to be a superstar or Ben Wallace or anything else, but for you to figure out exactly what box he fits in so you can go about building your team around the players that you have. To me, that's what this year is all about. And, and it's not easy for him, too, because, you know, he's not 6'10", and Kelly Olenek gets hurt, and they're asking him to do a lot, stay on the floor, not get in foul trouble. And again, that's another kid, and you know, 21 years old or whatever, 22 years old, you're asking a lot of, and uh, he's up for the challenge, but it's not going to be easy. There's going to be growing pains. Absolutely. And I think we all, we, here's the, the problem here is Detroit has always sort of dipped its toe into rebuilding, but not really doing it. Right. So it feels like we've been rebuilding for 10 years. No, the Pistons haven't. This is the first actual rebuild or restoration process, <laughs> excuse me, that this franchise has actually gone through. So it, it's going to, it's going to take a second, in my opinion. You know what I mean? To figure out, especially a guy like Stewart, who you don't have a backup center, basically. You have, yes, you have Trey Lyles, but a traditional backup center or starting center where Stewart can go against second units or go against starters, depending on the matchups of the day. And he's the most athletic guy on the floor when he's not a supreme athlete to begin with. So you're going against better athletes and better players. So therefore, you're not going to look like the best version of your 21, 22-year-old self. I think it would be really unfair to judge someone based off of that alone. Like you said, he's 20 years old. He doesn't turn 21. He's not He's not going to be able to drink until after the season is over, D. He's like, he doesn't turn 22, 21 until May 22nd. It's amazing. These things are go- this, right. You know what I was doing at 20 years old in a few months? I don't think we want to get up. into that, do we? <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 you know, it is. It's a young group, and they're taking their lumps right now. But I think that, uh, you know, they got the right guy in Dwayne Casey. You know, when you talk to other coaches and you, and, and you look around the league, the, the, it's it's probably the right fit right now, Dwayne, with this, with this group, don't you think? Absolutely. It has to be. And I think people forget the circumstances in which Dwayne came here. Like, this was a much different roster than the one Dwayne Casey inherited. And maybe deep down he knew, okay, you know what, at some point throughout this, maybe we're going to have to reverse course and have to rebuild because of, you know, you had Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson and all those guys on the roster. You knew that wasn't necessarily going to be as sustainable long-term as the conference uh, was going to change and everything else. But at the same time, this is still a young team that he's had to grow with. He's grown with those Toronto teams. He grew even with those sort of young-ish but veteran Dallas Mavericks teams that he was on the staff with Rick Carlisle. And I know you're a big uh, Rick Carlisle guy. And look at what Rick Carlisle is having to deal with, yeah. with older 
younger players in Indiana this year. So whenever you have younger players and there's no, you know, boat that lifts all tides, you're going to have to piece some things together. And let's be honest, these, the Eastern Conference is a lot better than it was three, it four, five years ago. It is. There's no nights off anymore. This is the stronger conference to me by far in the NBA with apologies to Golden State and Phoenix. It is amazing how that, that sort of tide has turned uh, a, a little bit this year because, like you said, top to bottom, we, uh, you know, we, you and I were talking off air about Cleveland and some other teams that have made strides. Washington's coming here Wednesday. They're much better team. Um, I, I want to ask you about Sadiq Bay because you know the shot's just not falling. But I love the fact he's trying to get to the rim. He did that in the, in the summer league just to be like, hey, look, let me round out my game. But there. You know, the shot eventually will fall. He showed that last year, but you could tell teams have made adjustments against him. And now, as a young player, he's got to adjust back, right? Absolutely. And that's a part of, you know, as a young player, we're going to give you more responsibility. We're going to let you play make more. We're going to turn you into, we're going to let you be something more than a spot up shooter. And usually you think, all right, that means I'm going from averaging 12 to averaging 16. Maybe not. You know what I mean? Maybe not immediately. You're talking about a guy that was catch and shoot last year he played off of jeremy grant he played off of blake griffin when blake was here he played off of everybody that was around and now you're saying okay you can create you can you know break off plays if you see things and then go to the bucket and you can see he's doing stuff with the euro step he's finishing more with his left hand and everything else but to me more importantly than that to me he's like a culture guy he's a guy that comes in and works and that means more than that drop-off at three-point shooting. Because last year, he was almost at 40. This year, he's almost down to like 30. He might be, but they rock around 28 29%. And, it, and the shot doesn't look like there's anything mechanically wrong with it. It just looks like there's an adjustment that he's going to have to make to how defenses are playing him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to his role. Like, we just naturally assume that young players embrace the role. And to me... Him being a playmaker, him being a better passer, him being able to read the floor, him being able to get out on the break and fill the lanes. Like these, those things are as important to me as a three-point shooting. Look, him being able to get on the block at some point and be able to create offense from there, like to me, that's the next step for him even more so than him breaking guys down off the dribble. I don't know if he has necessarily the foot speed to break guys down off the dribble, but I do think that he's big and strong enough to put someone on his back and play from the box a little bit. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. And again, it's going to come with time. Uh, final thing, Vinny, um, you mentioned it. So the East has eleven teams, five hundred or better. That's a, that's unbelievable. Um, after Brooklyn, who who do you like? After Brooklyn, who's the best? After after Brooklyn or after Milwaukee? <laughs> well. I guess you just well you just answered it I guess with Milwaukee but uh, who you know that's that's you you still say Nets Bucks in terms of the two two best teams. It's hard to say. I, I will say this: the Nets are giving me pause because Kevin Durant to me is the best player in basketball, but everything else around him is a bunch of question marks. James Harden does not look like the same player that he was. Maybe that hamstring injury from last year is like the start of the decline. Like we. We saw Allen Iverson at the tail end of his career, and it literally happened overnight. Like, he went from being a 27-point scorer to basically being just a guy, except he didn't think he was just a guy, and that, you know, caused a lot of strife. I wonder if James Harden is just a guy if Kevin Durant can carry that team where it needs to go. And if he can't, then Brooklyn was – I mean, Milwaukee was going to be a problem anyway because they won a championship, and they have championship arrogance – and they don't lose when they have their big three in the lineup, 
And I like the Miami Heat a lot because I love Eric Spolster as a coach. And I'm really growing on the Chicago Bulls. I can't believe I'm saying that in this town. But the Chicago Bulls are growing on me with Billy Donovan and them playing small and everything else. You know, with Vucevic being the one big and you got DeRozan and Levine running the floor and Lonzo Ball being, you know, a plus player. I really like them. So in the East, I think there's many permutations of what the conference finals could look like. And it would not shock me even though I picked the Brooklyn Nets to win the title to start the season, I have the right to change my mind, and my mind is changing. So I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn wound up being out of the conference finals party again because I don't know if they have the personnel to help Kevin Durant overcome what is a very much very much a stronger Eastern Conference. Well, the, the competition at the top, like you said, is pretty good, and uh, a lot of teams in the mix. And again, with those expanded playoffs and the, the 9 mm-hmm. and 10 seeds, it's uh, – it's going to be a lot of fun. Vince, always uh, love talking to you, buddy. Thanks so much. I appreciate you, Dees. Vinny Goodwill with us from uh, Yahoo Sports. Read his stuff. National uh, writer. Of course, used to cover the Pistons for the Detroit News and also hear him on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Pistons back home Monday and Wednesday. And don't forget Motor City Cruise also at Wayne State in the Fieldhouse down there for a day game on Tuesday at 11 and a Wednesday nighter as well. Matt Derry with you. This has been... The Pistons Pod right here at Pistons.com, brought to you by Uptime Energy Drink.